Hey gang, welcome to episode 228 of the No Persinium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, aka the kitchen table, here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, I uh, this is this was a really fun one for me. Uh, we talked with the team from Tender Claws about the Under Presents, which is their new hybrid. Uh, immersive theater meets a VR uh, experience, which is available on both the Oculus Quest and now the Oculus Rift as well. Um, and what they're doing uh, in this initial period is they uh, not only is there a, a narrative experience inside uh, the software, the game, if you will, um, which you can explore and uh, check out, and that is built uh, using a lot of the principles of the design of immersive theater, the the narrative plays out the way a sandbox immersive theater piece might. You've got that. Then uh, you've also got uh, them dropping in live actors, uh, take on an avatar uh, and, and sort of beam into the experience and can uh, play with people in the lobby and leads to all sorts of madness. Uh, I'll talk to you a little bit more about my experience getting to watch uh, one of the performers do that. On the show today, we have uh, Samantha Gorman, who is the co-founder of Tender Claws and the co-director of the project, uh, Tanya Lel Soto, who is the producer for Tender Claws, and James Cowan, uh, who's one of the actors, uh, one of the actors here in Los Angeles, who is part of the project and uh, who I got to uh, ride along with as he... Uh, just uh, played played a rousing game of don't push the button uh, with with folks. We'll get into what that is and all sorts of other stuff uh, as we go into the uh, the interview here. Just a few quick notes before we do that. Um, I, I'm really low energy this week. Uh, I was up very late last night, um, and I'm recording this rather late in the day for me. Um, a few notes. Uh, one. Uh, Badges are on sale uh, for here for the the summit coming up in March. Uh, it's a pre-sale for those who have either attended previous immersive design summits or who have applied to previous immersive design summits. Those are the only folks who are going to have access to tickets for this whole month. Uh, they're on sale for $500 to those folks. If you are in that group and you were thinking, you know, I think I want to go to the summit again uh, this year. I want to go to the want to go to the new thing uh, in Pasadena. Uh, this is a great time to make that choice because next month uh, the price goes up. So uh, there are still some badges left for folks uh, who uh, fulfill those uh, requirements. And yes, we are going to have a whole bunch of programming announcements happening uh, before we put the other badges on sale. But right now, right now, this is that moment in time where uh, you say, put your, you put your faith in me and uh, we will reward it handsomely because uh, we are scheming, scheming, scheming. Okay, uh, you can find all that at herefest.com, H-E-R-E-F-E-S-T.com. Um, notes on the Patreon, uh, we lost somebody. Uh, we're down to 314 backers total and 1847. Uh, I, um, 
I feel funky always kind of hitting everybody up for money all the time. It's just not in my personality, so I'm not great at it. But uh, this is uh, Survival Stakes. So uh, if you're someone who's been on the fence for a very long time or thinking about it, you know, a dollar a month, $5 a month in particular, uh, is, is really great to see. And if everyone who enjoyed what we do all the time did that, we'd be sitting pretty. Um, like literally we'd be like, we'd be like, oh, wow, we've got lots of resources to do things with. Um, and things are just going to get funkier in, in the year to come. Um, uh, because of a little law called AB5, which is very confusing. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit on the back end of the show as well. Stick around for that uh, topic. Uh, but right now, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and James, Jeremy Charles Hahn. Sorry, I did that in reverse because there were sounds, and it's the mailman. I was wondering what all that sound was. Um, and... Uh, Thank you all. Patreon.com slash no is how you keep us going. All right. Uh, I've done most of the set for the interview so far. Uh, so you're going to get a chance to listen to it. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you more about my experience uh, from the actor point of view in the under presents. And we're going to talk a bit about California's AB5, uh, the law which uh, applies to freelancers uh, and uh, is going to be causing some major havoc uh in uh, in the months to come as everyone figures out um how do you pay people in the arts now uh that uh that the old ways are no longer legal so uh preview nobody knows what the hell's going on uh so yeah uh, a full version of that discussion when we return and for those who are wondering (laughs) are we gonna do a star wars talk you know zay and i might record something um and and put it in the patreon feed um, at some point, but it, it will not, in fact, appear uh, here in this podcast feed. Um, and and Zay did not know that I was going to say those words, so uh, maybe we won't. <laughs> maybe we'll get the whole team together. We'll see what we do. All right. And on that note, let's dive in to uh, this great conversation with uh, Samantha, Tanya, and James as we explore the Under Presents. <laughs> We're here in the secret lair of the under presents. Um, and just so that everyone, uh, so that everyone knows, uh, Sam, I'll start with you. I'll have you sound off so that we can identify everyone's, um, everyone's voice. Cause mm-hmm. it's when we have multiple guests, I like to do that for folks. So. Hi, I'm Samantha Gorman, the co-director of Tender Claws. And Tanya. Hi, I'm Tanya Leal Soto, the producer for Tender Claws. And jumping in once in a while is going to be... Hi, my name is James Cowan. I'm one of the live actors here at The Under Presents. All right, and uh, there, there's no real plan for this, which is semi-appropriate for doing The Under. So um, for those who don't know, I mean, we talk, we've been talking about The Under Presents a lot on No Pro, but on the off chance that someone uh, hasn't paid attention to the website or is like fast-forwarded through the opening because it was probably 12 minutes long, which I'm sure most people do, and go like, when does the interview start? What what is the under presents? Because it's it's kind of two 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 things in one, really. Mm-hmm. So the under presents is a VR uh, project that combines immersive theater and live actors. Um, however, it is also a long form game. Um, probably 
of many hours. Um, there's two intersecting worlds in the under. One is kind of a hub world of different shows, both live and pre-recorded, that are coming and going. Um, for the li- a lot of the pre-recorded acts and a lot of the uh, first year and a half of development of the under, we worked with Piehole, which is a um, theater company based out of New York. And then there are also various um, roving NPCs that are giving out and relating world uh, world lore back to the second world, which I'll talk about in a second. And those NPCs can be inhabited by live actors and at any point in the player's journey through that space. And right now we have about 10 live actors on staff. The second world is a kind of the story within a story, which is the ship, the Aikman. And that is a doomed research vessel that you get to play a single cam- uh, single player campaign where you are going through a story, kind of watching scenes, snapping them back, um, doing a sort of a game mechanic to create them back into uh, watchable scenes as the kind of the crew vanishes and supplies diminish one by one. And there's also different puzzles and things uh, hidden within that space where you can kind of save or redirect the story and change the character's fate with a few different endings too. Now what I've, what I've found so far in my, in my experimenting inside the under and, and I haven't got to spend nearly as much time as I want and definitely not nearly as much time as it seems to take to really dig down and, and, and know what's going on except for the side of it that involves the live actors because out there in the nightclub, just any, anything can be happening. And if, and if a live actor comes through this sort of micro moment, mini adventure erupts for a bit and you start to kind of get a feel for how the world works, um, but there's there's there feels like there's like a, a lot of a lot of depth in here, and you just kind of drop people in uh, into the deep end in in a very sandbox immersive theater way of just like oh, hey I, mean, I don't know you figure it out. How's that going so far? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting process. Part of our game design philosophy and a lot of our other projects do this to different degrees. Um, VVR is probably one of the more nar- uh, narrativized tutorials we have. Um, Tendar and Pry a little less so, and the under falls actually closer on the spectrum to being a little bit more narrativized, um, believe it or not. But we, there's certain things that we teach um, in the beginning, which is the main mechanics of movement, um, some of the the main mechanics of like a restoration spell, so that you know there's things you can do with your mask. There's actually kind of this interesting. Um, narrative and tutorialization throughout that comes more it's not necessarily a linear experience but it's more in chunks so you get moments where for instance after you enter the under for the first time um, you are whisked away by the MC for sort of like a secondary explanation a little bit about like what the world the boat is and how it relates to the world of the under and like how he considers it a sort of a stage and a, a type of entertainment however when that ends if you are in the under for more than 10 minutes, he will take you back to the photo booth himself. However, most people will go in the photo booth within that, so they'll never see that tutorial pot, mm. tutorialization part. So there's a lots of like little kind of subtle fail-safes here and there. Um, however, we deliberately designed it so that we want people to feel a little bit more that it's their exploration and their persistence is being rewarded. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I was... I, 
I, I the longest period of time I spent on the, on the Aikman, I like I hadn't I hadn't spent all that much time there. And then one night I was like, all right, I'm going to a photo booth, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start treating this like it's a piece of immersive theater. I'm going to pick a character. I'm gonna follow them. Uh, I'm going to maybe decide to. I'll, I know the moments when you know someone else comes up. They start doing something, and that's the point where I can oh I can follow that person or I can stay with it. So I I I treated it just like I treated my first time through Sleep No More, and that allowed me to start to orient to what was going on. And then of course the the beautiful thing about it being a game is you can take off your mask, rewind time. It's like oh I missed something. What's going on there? Or um I I didn't make the choice I wanted to make. Let me go back. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that honestly you totally wish you could do while you're in the McKittrick, right? It's like, well, eh, this Banquo scene isn't working out the way I wanted to. Let me go follow the maid instead. Uh, so you have that that ability. And then when I finally decided to leave, that's when I got like popped into the hallway and exited through the gift shop. And I just started cracking up because I didn't know there was a gift shop. I love that there was a gift shop. <laughs> I started to think like, are these guys going to like make it so you can actually buy this stuff? <laughs> So, so uh, there's there's so much anarchic energy. All this, like, I almost don't know, like, where where to take take the interview. But this process and the thing that's most interesting about the project to me, and and uh, as we know, disclosure, like, you know, I I, I, talk, I got paid to do to help you guys like audition folks, um, uh, like James. Uh, <laughs> James James is here because of you know, that process. Yeah. So 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 I'm sure. Oh, you don't have to thank me. Like, it's just it's I'm. I, I, what I loved about it, what the reason why I said yes uh, when you guys asked and was like super enthusiastic, is this idea that we get to like take live actors and drop them into these spaces, and and it's not. Well, I, you guys should talk about this because like this isn't exactly a social space. Like there are social VR things, and this isn't that. So like how how is the the nightclub part of the under? different from something like alt space or VR chat. Um, Cause I think, mm-hmm. I think that's something that people on the VR side are, are like hyper aware or how is it different from what horizons going to be, mm-hmm. which is going to make the default mode of that. So I don't know. Um, I feel like it, it is very social. The difference is like, you don't know who you're being social with, you know, uh, yeah. but you are interacting with other players, yeah. but you're um, not, you're, you're not as a player. Mm-hmm. You're not talking. No. Right. Um, and yet it, it does manage to still be social. Mm-hmm. But James is going to. James, James, <laughs> James gets Because, like, James, James, you have a voice in here. As an actor, you get to talk and you have, like, a, a different interface, right? Exactly. Yeah. We have a little bit more control over the game engine just as a way of mitigating what we're doing and sort of player response. But what is interesting is that even though the players don't have a voice, there's a physical language that has been developed and there is a rapport between actor and character where we understand now the type of question that we need to ask of a player in order to elicit a response. Like we can't ask a question that will require a one sentence response, but we can ask a question that's yes or no. And um, a lot of the games that we're playing, one of the characters that I do is Tumbleweed McGillicuddy and his whole thing (laughs) is uh, free will. He plays a game called Would You Rather and it's about free will, but it's about making these people make choices and then seeing the diversity of the choice. Maybe you know there are a group of people that make one choice or there's somebody that splits off and in that way they start to understand that 
each of their thought processes and consciousnesses are also uh, involved in a game where they're not speaking. That even though they're not speaking, they're very actively choosing and being involved. Yeah, I had this experience the other night that was really interesting where I, I, I poured it in um, and I started to figure out, I, I, I finally... I realized like one of the ways to get around the map is like, you know, there'd always been these little like uh, figure things would pop up and I didn't know what to do with them. And then I watched people jumping around and I was like, I watched other players jumping around. And I was like, Oh, somehow that's, that's an anchor point. And then I figured out I could like grab onto it and kind of, you know, you know, use that to like zip me around the map. And so suddenly I was like in this little flock, I was in the flock of silent players as we're zipping around the map. And, and then there was just this like, it felt like it was like a, I can't remember what it was. It wasn't a disembodied voice, but there was some thing that was like moving around with a quasi disembodied voice. And, and we, we were just kind of like following it and seeing where it was going. And then it, it took us all to a part of the map called Stonehenge and made us do a little ritual with it. And then suddenly like turned this giant, like 60 foot tall skeleton. And we were like, it was, it was just the weirdest most amazing and unexpected unexpected moment and it was like at like nine o'clock at night on a saturday because i was sad and i was at home uh and and but here was this thing and like we were we were communicating with each other uh, you know even though we didn't have our words because like through our actions and like next thing you know like we were equipping the skull and like someone to sword and then someone made it big and the skeleton picked up the sword and it was just just the most ridiculous stuff, Tanya. You're cracking up right now. Description <laughs> for, of it. for that, no. But I was saying, like, this is this is what I was. This is what I meant when I was like, it is still social yeah. because all of a sudden you make all these new friends, and you go into these like quests or journeys or just like, you know, I've had experiences being player where like somebody comes and starts wanting to teach me something, and of course, I mean, I go along, and then you feel really connected to this like other player, and you want to keep on going. So it is to me that's the the part that it is, you know. Yeah, and there's Social. and there's kind of there's a whole language of of magic in this. Like there's little little spells that you can kind of learn through observation. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of things we've touched on that uh, I'm interested to talk about too. Is addressing the point of the the social multiplayer. You know, obviously, um, our big inspiration, of course, is like Journey. You know, it's one of our favorite games, and that moment when you be- realize you are playing with an AI and that person is human. Mm. It's such a beautiful and, and powerful moment. But also like the potential of different energy and gesture to really speak and to really like connect with other people is something that you wouldn't really expect and until you really see it and experience it. I know like the actors, like we have actors who assign, like James does this beautiful bit with Night of the Wet Food and there's actors who assign roles to players and they really, their body language really takes on those roles in ways that are like I didn't even expect when we started this. Um, and a lot of our, our philosophy is we don't, the, the choice to not speak is purposely a design decision because it allows for this sort of gestural communication and emergent play. And a lot of the spell systems and props are designed around creating these like improv moments between groups and emergent play. And like to see that, you know, that's that's super important to us. Um, There are really interesting like we 
Like I keep a tab on Reddit and some of the mythology of the world that we've peppered throughout is starting to be discovered. So sometimes I'll like take um, also what community is like kind of talking about and feed it back into the project <laughs> through the live actors. Oh, nice. um, we're aware of various different communication systems that they've developed as well, you know, which is super interesting. Like I think there's like a, a, a manual like that has letters on it that they'll use to spell out and like talk to each other oh, sometimes. Wow. And there's whole like different like societies that are developing. Yeah. It's super crazy. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Y yesterday, one of yeah. the artists who was the one like designing some of the spells realized that there's an entire flow chart on discord somebody's doing an entire flow chart about every single spell yeah no i, I gotta yeah, admit like I, I i looked up something the other day because i was kind of like i was like oh how are they doing that what is it? and then i was like oh okay cool cool like because mm -hmm. like i i find that that magic system like you you can sort of like stumble into it mm -hmm. but then you're like yeah. oh, but what was it that i did like i don't i'm not sure what i did and so i looked I was like, okay cool it's fascinating you talk about that because like that's the kind of thing that happens I, I was listening to to waypoint yesterday and they were talking about mario maker um and and how that's going on uh and there's a thing about the 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 kaizo levels in there that i didn't know where they're they're starting to like they've got like a language for like what they put in the background of things in order to like hint to people like oh you know here's where you do like a corkscrew mm -hmm. or something like this and there there winds up being this this layer of nonverbal communication and there's something about, um, I'm realizing as, as I'm watching people, you know, do this stuff and, and how much, how much more powerful the nonverbal communication kind of is than the verbal, because it, it, it kind of enforces a, a childlike state on mm -hmm. the players, right? Like before you had words, you had actions and you had the ability to use objects. And so that's what you did. And so you start trying to like figure out how to communicate and infect the world without using your voice. And it just feels like it touches something deeper uh, and, and definitely a, a deeper level of play is what it's feeling like to me. That's not a question, that's just an observation. <laughs> Welcome to the show, that's how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. I think when people who don't know too much about The Under, that one of their first questions is like, oh, it's a multiplayer game, but I hear it's like, why are you not having people talk? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and, and then it's like, I kind of backtrack and like talk a little bit about that design decision. And I think when you talk, there's a certain, you become uh, an identity. And mm. one of the things that you learn throughout the course of The Under is kind of what is the player. And that's something that is, there's the MC comes in at various moments and gives you more and more a hint of like some of the underlying plot structure. And uh, when you kind of realize, we're kind of telling a story a little bit about like, it's not just you are yourself as the player, but you as the players are a certain type of thing. Mm. Um, and it's important for us to like, essentially, give people permission to perform like people talk about getting nervous about getting on stage and uh there was something and like the actors um like james are super great at like inviting people up but because you don't have a voice um i i think i was reading in comments people felt like they had more permission or they were less nervous or they there wasn't that pressure yeah on them yeah there's kind of there's kind of a there's that paradox right it's something we often see in immersive theaters like people are afraid to be proud about stage people mm -hmm. people it's this weird thing where like people and and james you probably experienced this a lot you know mm -hmm. with the work you've done with the speakeasy society in particular right like there's some people some people want to be 
seen but not seen. Yes. Right? Yeah. They want to be an active um, observer, but they don't always want to be an active participator in the story. And it's interesting, too, that uh, in, in this, I do think that when you take away the ability to speak, then people do revert to a primal state where it's instinctual. They're using their bodies. You know, a lot of the things that we do are dancing or, or playing don't push the button or things like that. And when, when it's just this primal state where you can, can just move your body without um, uh, the, the voice in your head correcting and filtering your thoughts, I feel mm. like more often than not, the reason that people are afraid to speak is because they're judging what they're about to say before it actually comes out. And right. so there's another layer of what am I going to say? Whereas if you're doing something, it is task-based, it is action, it is almost binary. It's you do it or you don't do it, and there's not much of a judgment on it. Um, there's only consequence. Like they're in the game, don't push the button. Either you don't push the button and you resist temptation and you get prizes, or you do push the button and then you get put into a go-go cage and you dance <laughs> your way out. You know, like... <laughs> But it distills it when you when you're able to take away the voice. It sort of distills it and focuses you on a, a binary yes no. Do I do this? Don't I do this? And and there's something surprisingly rich, even though when you have like the physical hardware you've got, you've got you've got the headset, you've got uh, the two controllers, so the the system knows where someone's hands and their head is, and yet you still get a massive amount of expressiveness in the body, uh, just, just weirdly so. Oh, yeah. Like, even, I mean, people still get shy when they come up on stage, and it's interesting to sort of break them out of that. They'll, like, bow their head a little bit and put their hands up, and you immediately know, like, they're, like, covering their mouth, or they're, like, being shy, and they're, like, you know, maybe their movement, the quality of their movement will be a little more tender. And then you just break them out, like, have a little joke with them, open them up, and then you bring them over, and they're ready to go, you know? And... And I think, like in in most immersive theater, the very important essence of it is creating a supportive environment. So even when you have one person on stage and and you're enlightening or or trying to lift their heart or something like that, you've got to pay attention to everybody that's off the stage and have them build a support community. Community like you know support your friend here on the stage, give them some snaps, or like go back to your friends out there and sort of the language that we use to talk about them as friends or as a community mm. um, helps helps those people who are maybe a little more introverted and you can see that translate in the yeah. game the, the friend terminology is actually particularly interesting because like, I was I had this thought it was, it was a shower thought like you know a couple months ago as I was thinking about how theme parks have to start thinking about in this more participatory age, how do you address, how do you go from guest, right? Like a theme park world is like, it's a guest. Our guests this, our guests that, and you take care of your guests. But when you, when you want to, I mean, the, the people who play with their guests are like Hannibal Lecter, right? Like you don't really want to, you don't want to be the guest of someone who wants to play with you, right? Yeah, there's like some serious like Adrian Veidt Watchman vibes, right? You know, like... This crook shanks. Um, anyway, and like um, I've been holding on for a couple of weeks. Um, and decide, but but you play with your friends, mm -hmm. right? And when mm -hmm. you're in this space, your friends. So it's interesting. That's that's is that something you guys like? Like, is that was that was that a design decision in terms of how to like prep the team, or is that just something how the team started to like talk about? Did that organically emerge? I don't know. Where that where that come from? Where that term come from? 
I think it was a little bit of both. What was really important in the objective term, um, the objective when we got into this, was that we want them to know that we're alive and we want to create a community. And how do we do that in a digital space? And um, being active and seeing players real time and talking about what they're doing real time was a very effective way to show that we were live characters and not NPCs or, or pre-recorded acts. And then the friend and the community started developing when, like uh, Sam mentioned earlier, I do a little bit with a character called uh, Kitty Cat, and he's a little cat, and he goes around and he knights uh, players. He has a dance, <laughs> and he knights them as knights of the wet food. And, you know, and their objective <laughs> is to take care of each other and teach each other spells. And sort of out of that... Um, as we as as that developed and as time passed on, there would be certain times when I was talking to two people that were already knights and two people that were not knighted. And how do you bridge that gap? And like, oh, using the knights to help me not knight or to help me knight the other people. <laughs> and then as we're getting ready, you know, pushing forward and developing the axe further, now we're having fencing classes. So once everybody's knighted, <laughs> we go up on stage and we have defensive fencing classes and. Um, and, and in that way, it was sort of building the, oh, we are all in this together. We want to take care of this together. You know, um, it, it's, much, it's much more fun to be inclusive than separate. And you don't want to shame anybody or make them feel like they're not getting something or they're failing or they're being ostracized because that's the, the quickest way to distance themselves from you. There's, there's two roads out of, out of this topic that I'm, I'm interested in here, and, and hopefully we'll tackle them both. One is, I think everyone would be really interested in what the rehearsal process has been like and, and the decisions you're making on, on a production side to like get us into this space, right? Like how do you make, uh, how, how, do you, how do you prep the actors for this and how do you incorporate that, the, 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 the feedback you're seeing from the, the player base in order to change how you're approaching it? And then, and then the other side is, is more on that community level stuff that you were talking about, Sam, of like what's going on on Reddit in terms of what, are, what is the audience getting out of this? So I sort of leave it maybe to you to, to which, which, which door do we go in first? Um, well, the Reddit stuff is easier to quickly talk about because that's sort of new. And I'm really interested in like building community and like ways of like uh, communication systems that emerge from communities. So that's something that I'm just starting to kind of look into more deeply. Um, it seems to the people who explore more, you know, I think are rewarded with more of the narrative and it's been um, likened to an ARG, you know, mm -hmm. in certain ways. Yeah. Um, so I find that really interesting and I hadn't really thought about it in that kind of framework, but that could be true. You know, um, the, uh, that, make, that makes so much sense to me because like the way an ARG, yeah. you know, it's like it's that, that exploded fragmented narrative and someone says, Hey, I found this thing, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. Right. So there's a point for like my role right now is keeping track. Like we, we're just talking about ways to centralize it of all the world lore and where everyone is at different times of different actors and different things they could be. Um, you know, some of it is like there are different, uh, basically now interjecting different hints and different more uh, cohesive places to certain acts. Um, however, there's the moment of gratifying beauty and spontaneity and weirdness that we're still trying to cultivate. Um, 
So that is something that we're I'm going to be leaning into as we you know pepper more of the live actors with some of the world lore. Um, the the next thing is rehearsals, which I think we can all talk about. Is it's kind of a multi tiered process, you know, that we have an idea of how it's going to go, and then as it's underway, things just kind of like <laughs> tendril out and like you know change depending on the the actor and. Um, we had like a kind of, you know, Tanya can take you through the production stuff and curriculum in a second. Um, one of the things that I do particularly is work with individual actors. And that was much more intensive for the first like two weeks. Um, and there's actors on different sides of the spectrum, right? So there's James who like kind of creates the, you know, understands the word learn kind of runs with it and, you know, kind of creates these characters, um, and, you know, we've talked through different acts and we gave, you know, notes. Um, we have an outside director also come in to give notes and then he kind of spins stuff off from there. And then there's other people who are a little bit more like scripted or have, you know, a sense of like they play this character who's always usually around this spot saying this type of thing. Um, and, you know, after after those first two weeks are up of more intensive notes, then I'll jump in. You know, once in a while, I'll, I'll tape them and then I'll give like specific notes. And we're talking about like, don't press the button um, is an act that everyone sort of adopted. And that's a perfect example of something that like we suddenly realized, oh, my gosh, like this is sort of like getting a little too repetitive. So now we have to add layers to it to kind of prime and, and change and mix up those expectations players may have. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly evolving. But I'll let, uh, before we leave, I want to talk about the fate and free will theme, but I'll let these two also fill in on, you know, the rehearsal yeah. and the process. Let's talk, talk a bit about, about the structure there. So like what, how did you structure this, this thing out to like get people ready for a thing that's never been really done before? Um, <laughs> well, you know, we need a lot of improv people, including ourselves. Uh, that's how, no, <laughs> no, but we did have, um, it, it helped a lot the first um, iteration we did with Pi Hole, you know, like how they got prepared to be on the headset and everything. That kind of like gave us a broad idea of um, what things to do and what things not to do. So it was easier this time to like start prepping people first to be comfortable with being on the headset. Uh, I think that's something very important because as one of the Pi Hole members, Alexandra says, you get used to the headset and then you forget to act. And then you have to go back to remembering how to act. <laughs> so I think this time, th those are the things that we learned back when we did the project, uh, like the version for Sundance, mm. which was, yes, they should. We, we basically structured it in a way that it was learning about the world, getting comfortable with the headset, uh, and then trying to develop the characters with Samantha, getting comfortable with those characters, now trying to do them in the headset. Um, but James, you can talk about how you felt it went for you. Yeah. So we found pretty early on that there were two different type of characters that we were creating. There was one that was going to be more of an expositional narrative character. And there was one that was just fun, you know, to make, to make people know that you were alive and have an entertainment value. Uh, and then we discovered that in the narrative, um, if it's just exposition, people walk away. They're not interested. <laughs> they just walk away and you're like, oh, well, I guess that's that. So we had to start layering in tasks. And um, there was a basic thought process of the lore and the character mm -hmm. as we were in the development. And then as in immersive theater, you don't know until you're front in front of the audience. And yeah. when you have live people there with you, because 
they will be very honest about what they're interested in and what they're not interested in. And especially and here it's really binary because they won't say like, ah, you're boring me. It's just like, oh, you, you just walked away. Yeah. 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 Just like, wow. Like, or they can just log out. Yeah. 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 Just like, you know, and you're standing there going like, oh, I, I, did they just lose their Wi-Fi or did, yeah. did, did I hurt their, did, oh man. Yeah. yeah. And then after like three people disappear, you're like, oh no, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that I need to change within the course of this. And then so it was finding it was finding different characters that evolved the story in different ways or evolved the player experience in different ways and the different uh, combinations between the two there's an exposition character that um, we've started to pepper some hints in to the boat so there's a lot more cross kind of world stuff now and that James and I just started working on and then he just went in and just did because we can't there's no rehearsal you just do it live and then Mm. tweak that so he went and did it and then um, you know he realized through the I think I think you realize this through like you made adjustments you're like oh I have to suddenly like make this exposition around a task and he kept asking for like beers and having them do like a a task to in order to like also support the story yeah Yeah. well that was something I caught you doing a little bit ago you were like you know asking for onions and other things in order to like make pasta sauce or something like yeah. that yeah <laughs> one of the characters is vincenzo lorenzo and he wants to fall in love you know? <laughs> and so one of the things is uh in teaching players and this is a great one in how you get the community to teach each other so lorenzo needs an onion a tomato and a bottle of wine and those are easy things to find or easy things to spawn that's one of the first things that people learn but then he needs them bigger so that he can feed the whole family and mm-hmm. usually in a group at least one person's going to know an enlarging spell so I'm, if I ask them, oh, is there any way to make this bigger so I can feed my whole family? Immediately someone will do it, and I'll see the other two players go, how do you do that? And then I'll slow it down, and I'll have the player walk them through it one by Mm. one. So now everybody's learning the spell through the form of the narrative of feeding the love of my life so I can have a family. Yeah. No, and and that's, and that's a, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful way of like, you're using using character motivated narrative in order to teach game mechanics mm-hmm. that then can pay mm-hmm. off you know down the road w- with mm-hmm. other things like mm-hmm. it's that allows that emergent creation there's something we haven't mentioned which is actually that these people it's a con- a complex puppetry rig that mm-hmm. they're doing behind the scenes that still allows them for freedom of their hand movements and you have to like you know um, people who are have played games it's easier for them to pick up the controllers, but they have to like learn those, so it's almost second nature, mm. too. You know. Yeah. So, so, so what is so what? How's the rig? So, for someone who goes in and plays, it's like you got your hands, you can take your mask off, you can snap things, you know, you can you can learn some spells to do some stuff, but you've got a much different rig going on then. Yes. Yeah, so I cue lights props, stage, the ability to teleport, invisibility, make myself visible, turn my mic on and off, and also I have controls over um, whether or not if anything gets too far wrong, I can control the game or control a player in the room and, and bring them back on track. But in doing that, it very much was what they were talking about earlier about how you just forget to act for two weeks. You know, I've I've been a gamer my entire life. I love gaming, but this is being able to 
continuously give a narrative while bringing up and prepping different cues for yourself in the middle of the game. So let's say for the cat, you know, I'm, I'm giving a narrative and I'm talking about Knights of the Wet Food while at the same time I'm getting ready to prep or spawn swords while also looking characters in the face and continuing the narrative. And then when I get there, I'll spawn the swords. Or say sometimes a character will go on stage and they will have spawned later than the other characters and so for four or uh, sorry players so four of the players the curtain will be open on the stage for one of the player the curtain will be closed on the stage mm. and i have to figure out oh that's why you're not moving over is because you can't see it mm. so then quickly i'll close and open the curtains which resets it for everybody and now everybody is resynced into the same game yeah oh, wow. and that's something we actually found live because we're finding a lot of these things live and that's now fixed yeah. Yeah. but it was something like so actors not only have to do some like you know light kind of world like you know check for like tech stuff but they have to like know the rig spawn things imp- improvise know the world lore and do crowd control all at the same time yeah you're you're, you're the actor the stage yeah. manager the lighting yeah. board operator sound mixer prop master yeah. and and front of house yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i mean these people you know are they're you know all all really skilled and as you said like um we moved here you know we didn't really know anyone in the la theater scene and that's where we asked noah to help us find you know these, these immersive actors and you know they're all Skilled people. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're creating yeah. a new breed of actors. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, <laughs> really, that's that's really. the thing. That's the thing that's exciting to me is like this is a this is, this is a new skill set. Yeah. This, this is a brand new skill set, and and it kind of on the one hand it freaks me, on the other hand it, it kind of makes me giddy to hear like you forgot how to act for two weeks as you were learning how to act with all those other responsibilities with all those that other tool set going on and 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 the fact that. You know, I mean, acting really is a craft. It's, I mean, for someone who's just like running around mm-hmm. playing, you know, in like a in a VR social space, it's like sure you can be running around playing, but like, I don't know, like when I, not to like slog on other things, but like you know, I remember I dropped into one of those spaces and I decided to like take on a character and start doing doing weird stuff, uh, as I would as I would do. <laughs> like I've I've got this little, you know, impish thing to me that comes out mm-hmm. particularly in those scenarios, and. And, and the people were like, because I was acting like the world had ended. Like that's why I decided I was like, I was like the world had ended, and I was like broadcasting from like you know after the apocalypse. And it was just like, oh, and I was like, oh, I've been in here for seven weeks. I haven't seen anybody yet. And the people were just like, okay, whatever. And then like, they wandered <laughs> off. And I'm like, oh, you people are no fun. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be here with a bunch of people who just want to like look at this this y- y- hut I built. Oh, I built a hut. And like whatever. Let's let's make believe. Yeah. Um, and and but but to but to to be able to like maintain that while you've got like, you know, the full Aussian like bag of tricks mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah, it's, cool. cra- it's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've, you know, c- purposely selected for and casted for people who like can, you know, do that and feel comfortable with that. And, you know, did the training. And, um, I think, and it's interesting it's because it's not just also learning a show like an impro- you know immersive theater show that you kind of have a structure of ideas and then depending on how people react you can kind of change it towards but it's also it continues to evolve <laughs> so like you know past the the basic structures of the show and like how do you how do you do that live you know for this this audience is is fascinating i, so. I, I want to see it under the to the free will thing that you, you mm-hmm. flagged but i also before we hit that um, for, for both of you, you know, how, how, I mean, Sam and Tanya, how similar is this part of it 
to the developing uh, a game developing a soft developing software like are are are, are you, is it the same tool set mentally and and sort of production wise or are you are you in a in a very different space um just for like particularly because I'm, I'm thinking about people who are maybe who may be in you know software development or vr but they're not necessarily have like the live performance uh you know, or storytelling backgrounds as they look at this and be like, oh, how hard could this be? You know, so, so how, how hard could this be? It's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I think part of, to answer part of that question is like, we're very fortunate at Tenderclaws that we all come from different disciplines and we all bring something different. Uh, and I even think like on the, you know, broadest term of game development, uh, Danny, who's, you know, the co-head of the studio and does a lot of, like, the design, he, I don't think he, he thinks on a pure game design level, right? Because we yeah. are, we are all thinking on, like, oh, but there's going to be actors and, like, how is the mock-up coming in and how are we bringing in the narrative? So it is, you know, it, it really becomes a thing where we all bring different disciplines into it and... Mm -hmm they all get a range. Yeah, I think that point is right. It speaks to our team more than anything. Cause I mean, it's the same, like we're using Unity, it's the same mm. tools or similar principles of like, you know, game design at play. Um, but for instance, like Tanya has a background in puppetry. So like we have actors who did the mocap that we hired and worked with. And then we had Eli, who's our production intern in, in computer science, but he is an he's on an improvised uh, team and is an actor. So both of them would just go in to cover for people when they weren't there. <laughs> And we're um, able to do a lot of the acting in the mocap as well. So because of our team, the, like just the makeup of our team, we kind of intrinsically think about these things even during game development. So it's um, yeah. Carter, our art director, he also comes from film, uh, and a lot of there, there were a lot of things that are more cinematic because he's thinking that way. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, th I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that speaks to me about sort of where what what VR actually is, which is this, this multidisciplinary form. And that everyone who was approaching the space at the beginning of it is like, oh, it's gonna be like film, or oh, it's gonna be like game, or oh, it's gonna be like this. And it's yeah. like, mm, it's all of it, right? Like if you're, not, if you're not bringing in these different disciplines, you're sort of missing the point. So free will. Yeah. Theme. So Big that's actually um, the yeah. don't press the button game is a perfect example of that. And like how James interprets that game is I think really beautiful because like, yes, they have the free will to press or not press the button. And um, the MC alludes to those themes throughout and even in the kind of like the little epilogue that he gives. Um, but a lot of it and, you know, what some of the the emphasis on exploration is about agency and like you know that's a theme you hear in the dialogue constantly and exploration and openness and the decision to do one thing or another and like what that means you know to you does it and if it change does it change things does it not is it is the journey the most important part of it you know mm -hmm. so like it's those themes that are cycling not only in the mechanics in some ways but also in the larger narrative that unfolds um not only on the ship where like you know, they're kind of pre-recorded and set on these fates, you know, and, and certain, maybe, you know, possibly in certain ways that they can break out of it. Um, but it's more of like, you are, you are not only the audience, but you're also the entertainers for mm. this character, for the MC, and your decisions to change or not change, or how you engage in the under is partially like what you're there for as a character. Yeah, and that, the, the discovery process of just how you're able to affect the world 
I think like that. There's something about how in, in, in immersive as a whole, getting back to that fundamental thing of play of like, what are the verbs? Like, what is it that you're doing? Um, and that's so, you know, that's so at the surface here, like not in the sense of like it's, it's shallow, but in the sense of like it has come up, it is like bubbled up to the top. And it's like, oh, here's, here's the true thing, which is like, what is it that we're doing? How are we doing it? How do we, how do we move through the world? How do we help each other figure out how to move through the world? Um, and which is very much that sort of state of mind that you're in when you're four or five years old and you're on, you're in this sandbox and you're, you're figuring out, oh, what can I do with this pail? Oh, you can make a castle with it. Oh, oh, cool. Well, now, now we've got a whole castle thing we've got going on, and that's the rage mm-hmm. for you know weeks on end. Or, what can we do with this jungle gym? Well, the the floor is lava. Oh, here we go, hot lava monsters. You know, mm-hmm. which seems to be the one. Hot lava monster seems to be a, a folk game that like appears everywhere. I wonder if it's appeared in the underlying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyone's got around a, a around a hot lava monsters. Um, it'll happen. Yeah. Um, what's what's been the biggest surprise now that it's like it's met the audience? What's been the thing that like just this was not what we expected at all? For me, for me, it's really been the response, and I've even talked to Yelena, who's our producer at Oculus, where it's like we thought we were the weird ones, you know, but people are actually into this game <laughs> more so than we thought. Yeah, there's more like um, kindred spirits in the world than we had anticipated, I guess, which is nice. Of course, it's not everyone's cup of tea. No, you know, it's no, an interesting uh, experiment. Um, but I, but I think like seeing like it's been it's been beautiful, you know, to see like the reviews and to see again like Discord, Reddit, and see how like people are reacting and building their own communities around the game, and mm-hmm. that that's what's really you know been. It's, yeah, it's, it's very moving. I mean, we're a small team, and it's, it's really, we've been working on this for, like, two years now, and it's very moving to, like, everybody. And, you know, the actors, even when they read people talking about encounters they've given or had, you know, it's really special to them as well. Um, I think the other thing is I didn't, kind of because I had been kind of researching this area and thinking about it, I didn't anticipate the level of people willing to, the physicality of players and their willingness to kind of take on roles with each other mm-hmm. definitely way exceeded my expectation. Um, so that's super interesting. I'm, I'm also interested in the difference between people who are coming from games and immersive theater, how they deal with the ship and understand like what kind of the, the, how it's a deeper experience and maybe it first lets on, you know? So those, those type of things. Yeah. Now that's, that's, that's a big, that's gotta be like a, one of the bigger, uh-huh bigger uh splits is is the approach because like once once i had settled into the idea that like oh this is very sleep no more you mm-hmm. know i'd stop thinking about it necessarily like a, a linear game narrative. exactly it, it snapped snapped into place for right. me um and, and there's also you guys have also dealt with some like bad behavior too right like you know yeah, but surprising well no that's the big surprise is actually a lot less than i thought from like anonymous <laughs> like you know like a lot people are really wholesome and like really sweet in a way that like I did not expect from like the general you know internet culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some things you know we are which we've ad- adapted and James could talk a little bit more about, but like 
there's a, a poisoning spell that got a little out of hand that we since adapted, but you know, it changed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, it actually is very much more respectful than one would have imagined, especially coming from you know immersive theater where people are constantly testing. But there was uh, there was poisoning instances where people would um, there was a poison spell and people would trick other players into eating poison food, which in the game will kill them and send them to another space mm. that we can then go rescue them from. And some people we knew this and some people tried to kill us and either you know our way with dealing with it would be like oh thank you and then like throw it away and be like i know what you're trying to do eat it or like grab it oh thank you and then make them eat it <laughs> which is like sort of something yeah. there too but it, it was really interesting you know most people like after they test it once will will let it go and they're like oh i understand now there is a boundary you know yeah. there, this is even though it may be a world without consequence it is not a world without boundary yeah yeah. But then other other people will just like, oh, I have a hammer and now everyone is a nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. no, totally. Yes. That, that was very, very few. And, you know, sometimes it was funny, but then it just like got out of hand. Like yeah. too, too fast. Yes. I mean, there are consequences in the game. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can actually get banned oh. from the game oh. if you're yeah. misbehaving. And yeah. I have had to ban two yeah. people. Oh, wow. But that, yeah. what, what that really means, I mean, is that like we caught the, multi like, the multiplayer aspect of it for you for... A certain amount of time if you're being like, you know. You put on timeout. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Naughty people are put in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to timeout land. You know? Yeah. Although, although I, 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 I read on one of the boards that uh, I, I, you gave somebody the decision to live a life of eternal solitude. That so, was you, right? That was you. That is me. So that's uh, going back to the free will theme. Um, one of the things that I like to do with would you rather or do very philosophical would you rather is that make people think. And one of them is would you like to live one day um, as a superhero? You can do anything you want, but you only live one day. Or would you rather live in eternity in solitude? <laughs> wow <laughs> and that is the would you rather that's, and somebody, that's a pretty that's, that's, a, that's a deep and you, scary would you rather yeah, yeah and you know but those are fun and, and we do them and people make choices and then we laugh about mm -hmm. them and if everybody makes one choice you know we mention that if it's split we mention that as well uh, well I'll, I'll let you read the, 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 the comment the board, like <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this continues to evolve and maybe where we wind up like, you know, six, seven months from now, you know, or, or, or two or three months from now, uh, and, and how, it, how it continues to go. Because it, it has been heartening for me to see, like, the reaction um, from the community. And I know at least in our little immersive, you know, theater world, I like seeing, like, the other actors and some of, and some of the enthusiasts say, oh, I want to buy, buy a headset, and I know why. It's because they want to come play. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. So, all right. Well, <laughs> well, thank you all. Well, no, thank you for, you know, coming here and like always being so good to us. Thank you for helping us find all these wonderful actors, you know. Thank it was, you, it was beyond us. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> please, please, seriously, stop. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it was, it was my pleasure. And uh, if, I, if I was an eccentric millionaire, I'd, I would be doing this sort of stuff all the time. So uh, <laughs> I'd be doing nothing but... So, and I get to have, I get to spend more time in the under. So, <laughs> so if anyone has some Bitcoins lying around that they're not using, <laughs> uh, my, my, my wallet is, no. Uh, all right, we, have, we have some pot gold in the under, you can go uh, okay. find yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's great. I'll, I'll, digital currency, it's the future. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>
Once again, I want to thank Samantha, Tanya, and James for being our guests on the show today. You can find what Tender Claws is up to, uh, including The Underpresents, over at TenderClaws.com. And of course, you can find The Underpresents on the Oculus Store, Oculus.com, and it's available on both the uh, Quest and the Rift. And indeed, as we get closer uh, to the actual holiday season, I'm uh, looking forward to spending more time inside uh, cyberspace and down in the under. Um, I, I finally got the, the time to do it. We're taking uh, some time off here at No Persinium. Uh on Christmas. Uh, uh, we will just be we will be dark for like a week because I'm tired. Um, there will be a newsletter that goes out. And we will put out a podcast next week, a special episode. Uh, Michaela Holland talks with the folks over at Odyssey Works, and that is going to be our Christmas present to you that you can open on Christmas Eve because everybody should get a present on Christmas Eve. Don't worry, I'm fine. I, I, I have way too many. I, I'm, I, just, I still find some way to spoil myself because um, I'm a terrible person. I don't know. Um, that's not why we're going to talk right now. No, 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 no. I wanted to, to give you a rundown first of uh, my uh, experience uh, getting to watch James work uh, inside uh, the under and then uh, talk a little bit more about EB5, which I, I, I think we talked about last week. But like, for the love of God, like it I just more soon. And also, maybe you didn't listen to the podcast last week. OK, I have a hard time remembering last week because uh, tooth extraction and stuff like I just brain was not um, functional. Let's talk about uh, the under. So, uh, of course, I've already played the under, uh, gotten to run around it, run around in it using the uh, user interface, but I hadn't seen the actor interface yet. And what's really cool is when you load in, you load in into a dressing room and there's a mirror and you can check out the different avatars uh, and there's some some very, you know, not, you know, just there's some boxes there that like let you uh, reset your control setup and. Uh, see where people are so you know where you can kind of beam into and see where where the other actors might be might be hanging out and um it's it's a really it's a it's a it's a straightforward system but there's a, a lot of depth in terms of what the tool set gives the performer uh and they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes like there's there's so much stuff going on with that controller there's so much in terms of what they can do to manipulate the world around them uh, so there's it's it's a bit of God mode and you really got to think about what they're doing as kind of an acting job and kind of a game mastering job at the same time. It is very different from just straight performance. And yet what James is able to do and what I got to watch him do <clears throat> live with people is really find ways to engage with folks, um, even though there's there's so little fidelity in some ways in terms of what people can do they don't have voices they are able to make things they're always able to snap or like touch something or not touch something but it's fascinating to watch the dynamic and i think i think the the thing that i loved seeing as he was playing a game because first he, he first he dropped in and he just started you know doing a barker routine with like the four people that were in the lobby that he was in and you know they they kind of glommed onto him and they were they were following uh you know what he was suggesting it's like let's all go get a drink and he's like let's all get a drink and then like smash it on the ground and just really just getting folks to like play a little micro game with him if you will like a zero stakes game 
And then, then it was time once once a routine had, had finished up, uh, he started an actual game of uh, of uh, you know would you rather, uh, and then finished up with don't touch the button, and <clears throat> at the end, what was great was he <laughs> invited everyone to come together for a selfie. Even though there was like no way to take an actual selfie, and everybody did. Like everyone came around. And that was like my favorite moment of like maybe almost anything this month. It was just really ridiculous and weird and funny and just just a lovely moment that reminded you that people are willing to play. People people want to play with you. Um and and I don't know, like, 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 it, it, this doesn't, I'm in this, this headspace, uh, particularly this week, um, where, because like Watchmen just wrapped up and of course Star Star the Star Wars, the Skywalker saga just wrapped up to, to, you know, different weights here, but like, uh, two very big things just wrapped up and things are hitting me in a weird way because sometimes you, you're just like, you don't necessarily need to be surprised by something to be satisfied. Like surprise isn't the only thing. So I'm not surprised that Tender Claws has made this tool. I'm not surprised that this thing is working. Um, it's just nice to see it confirmed out in the wild that this works, that people are having fun with it, that it's good. Um, and you, you sometimes think, <laughs> you know, you, you anticipate something for a very long time. And then you get it and you, you get what you expected and you're like, okay. And, and sometimes, you know, how, how can you, when you, when you look back at the full breadth of what you've been given, how, how can you be, um, how can you complain? You can't complain. You got this thing. And, and, and in its totality, it's beautiful. Um, and I feel that way about a lot of stuff right now. Um, uh, particularly, and I'm holding on to that because uh, we live in a trash fire of a world. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, there's, there's still these beautiful moments. Um, there's still these beautiful things. These impossible, improbable things exist. Um, things that should not be, things that never should have been exist. Dreams came true. And um, just getting a chance to watch an actor do this job, do the job of a raptor and see on the one hand how simple all the tools are, but then how much depth there is to it. And to see that it's really ultimately rooted in just how someone can, can read the room. Um, it gives me a lot of hope that rare thing, hope that we're, um, we've got a shot. We can make it, we can make it if we try. So that is the light side. Um, let's talk about AB5 again. Um, if I haven't mentioned it before on the podcast, or even if I have, just to bring you up to speed, AB5 is a rule, a law here in, uh, well, it was a bill here in California that uh, passed through the Assembly, Assembly Bill 5 for 2019. Um, it is a radical restructuring of the way freelance work uh, is uh, allowed to be contracted in California. Basically, 
reclassifying huge numbers of people who were freelancers or contract workers, um, setting it up so that they must become employees. Uh, this was done largely because of the explosion of the gig economy, everything from Uber and Lyft to TaskRabbit and Instacart, all that stuff, all that stuff that makes uh, your life, if you have the money, super convenient uh, and all that stuff that, uh, you know, gives people theoretically a shot at making a little extra money on the side, but also has become these quasi indentured server two jobs. I mean, look, uh, you know, we all know that. uh <laughs> I'm I'm much more pro labor than I'm than I'm than I'm not uh, by far, um, and the gig economy, I've never been a, a massive fan of what it does, particularly to workers and to how it sort of undermines the semantics of things like the sharing economy. Right, that's a whole philosophical line we don't need to get into, but uh, AB five uh, ostensibly was a way to make Uber and Lyft start treating their drivers like they were employees, much the way that taxi companies uh, would do so. Um, and were required to do so and maybe level the playing field a little bit. But the way the law was written, uh, it was written uh, and set up to be much broader, in part because the gig economy has reached far beyond just uh, ride-sharing services. And, you know, oftentimes when we're dealing with stuff about labor, you have to apply the rules across the board, which doesn't stop there from there from being cutouts in the law and you know, what's called clarifications in the law. Um, so exceptions and exemptions, uh, if you attempt to read the text for AB five, and I'm going to admit here, I've gotten about 60% through with it, um, and skimmed over parts of it because about 40% of it deals with fishermen and it is pure legal speak about fishermen and has clearly been written in concert with some lobbyists, um, involved in fishermen fisheries and everything. Uh, it's, it's all just might as well be Sith to me. I cannot translate it or I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to. Um, and, and as I, and it made it hard to kind of fully track what was going on in it. The, the core of the law is that the test for how you determine whether someone can legally be a freelancer or legally be an employee comes down to a three-part test. And if memory serves, it used to be that, um, you know, you, you, you had to hit all three if you want, I actually don't think it might've been, it might've be, it might've been that you had to hit all three in order for you to be an employee and not a freelancer. Or, or vice versa. This is why it's, it's, like I said, confusing. Read the bill. Um, you will continue to be confused, but do yourself a favor, read the bill. Um, now it's set up in such a way that um, essentially if you want to be a freelancer or if you want to hire someone as a freelancer and not as an employee, all three parts of the test must be passed. Uh, those parts include uh, the person must be free of direction in how they do the work uh, and they can't be told when they when they do the work. Um, and it has to also be um, and meant to again, I'm not going from notes here. I'm going from memory. So read the bill. Um, the third one and maybe the most important one uh, from an employer standpoint is it has to be something that is outside the usual business of your business. So uh, if your business is putting on plays and actors are required for putting on plays, well, you're going to fail that part of the test. Now, 
this doesn't just affect theater. It affects so many people, yoga teachers, musicians, music instructors. And there are folks who, like I said, have managed to get uh, clarifications. There are groups who are uh, negotiating. Uh, Ari Hersted, who is one of our backers, has actually uh, met with the Assemblywoman uh, after the fact uh, to talk about how this affects musicians and get some clarifications going for musicians. The rules for freelance writers are, from my point of view, atrocious because they make it so that you can only, a freelance writer can only write 35 articles for any given employer in a year. This has caused Vox Media, uh, for instance, the people who make The Verge and Polygon and Vox amongst, and the Bleacher, no, no, not the Bleacher Report, uh, something else. Uh, anyway, I don't do sports, so don't expect me to know that part. Um, <laughs> someone's screaming, I don't care. Um, Brian Bishop is like rolling his eyes and saying, it's such and such. And I'm like, fine, I'll get back and I'll text you about Star Wars later. Um, Brian used to work over at The Verge. The point is, Vox has cut ties with their California freelancers, which is exactly what we all said would happen, that companies would just stop hiring writers in California. Um, I am fairly confident, um, and not just because a lawsuit has been filed by uh, freelance journalist associations, uh, to block parts of the law and to get it declared unconstitutional. Uh, I am fairly confident that um, big parts of this bill are going to be modified or struck down. But that's not going to happen right off the bat. There's going to be impact. One thing that people are looking at is uh, looking at creating loan-out corporations. This is something you should also research if you are uh, do any kind of freelance work or if you are someone who hires people on a contract basis. Remember, when we're talking about this sort of thing, we're saying, you know, you would no longer be able to just stipend your actors, right? And there are active questions. If uh, there are resources out there for you to check out, the Dance Resource Center has done uh, a lot of work on this already. That is who the LA Stage Alliance has pointed uh, myself to. In the Bay Area, Theater Bay Area has held meetings, and people are really looking at this because there are so many questions. Does this affect rehearsal time? Does this affect memorization time? How exactly do you need to count hours and hourly employees? Um, when this is all said and done, when everything is changed, when, when this law is changed, the way we do business will be different much in the same way that once the permitting issues in LA are finally dealt with, they will be different from what was come before. On that note, this is where we stand as a creative community and indeed where our fans, the fans of this work, can help us with a political voice. It is time again to take up the banner and to start fighting the fights digging into these institutional fights that we need to. Um, yes, on putting on my other hat, the Leia hat, we have been dark for some time. For about half a year, we have been, you know, coming around to like the last rungs on getting the bylaws done, and some things have been stopped. And yes, on me, I have been knocked out of commission enough times in the past few months that I have not been able to move the ball over the goal line. 
The nice thing is, is that with a new fiscal year starting, with 2020 starting, we have the motive, the means, and the opportunity to move the next step forward. So I can stay, stay here unequivocally, and because we've been reinvigorated internally, we will be making some announcements about some town hall type meetings and some other programming coming up that will happen even before the festival. And we will also be talking with people about chapter houses. I can say this with confidence because we've been talking about it for the past couple of months and because I personally get to have enough of a breather in the next few days that we can actually take some solid actions from a place of calm collectedness. We are stronger together as a community than we ever will be as individual creators or individual companies. The forces that we are up against are largely indifferent to our plight, which is an advantage to us in some ways, even as it's a disadvantage in others. But the thing that I have learned in the past few weeks in talking with folks from other organizations, from other artistic disciplines, is that we are most certainly not alone in our struggles, in our desire to make it easier for folks to make art, right? We're not alone. We've been made to, we've been made to feel like we were alone, but we are not alone. And now, once again, we can come together and get some real work done. It will not be easy. It was never going to be easy. And it turned out to be a lot harder than we thought for reasons we didn't expect. And indeed, it's hard because we got to take care of each other on top of everything else. But there are opportunities ahead. I know because I've been invited into some of those opportunities and we'll get more on that after we get the team together and do some meetings. But I look ahead and I have something that I haven't had in a while. I have hope. And just to be perfectly honest with you, for the past few months, I haven't had much. And I can't entirely put my finger on exactly what it is. Because it's a feeling. And sometimes you just got to trust that feeling. We're going to get this stuff fixed. And it's going to be scary. And it's going to be tough. But when it's all said and done, things are going to be better for it. And on that note, go out and see yourself a Star War. Okay, um, this has been the No Persinium Podcast, episode 228. My name is Noah Nelson. I've been your host. The um, credits that are traditionally in front of me are not here because I had to reboot the computer. So I'm going to vamp for 20 seconds here while I get the credits back up. <laughs>
<laughs> because that is how we roll. Here we go. All right. As we all know, music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The executive editor of the No Persinium website is Catherine Yu. Happy belated birthday, Catherine. We wished her a happy birthday on the uh, Slack the other day. Um, what else is up? Here Fest, uh, the Here Summit and Festival, Pilot Festival. Going to try and do little things. Um, that's coming up March 27th through 29th. There is still time to pre-register for a badge. And yes, we're going to make a whole bunch of uh, programming announcements right at the top of the year. But you can do that right now at herefest.com. No Persinium is supported entirely, entirely by you, the audience, through our Patreon at patreon.com slash noproscenium. The sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, and Jeremy Charles Hahn. And you, right now, you are the most important person listening to this podcast. Why? Because at this very moment, you are listening to this podcast. And from the point of view of the podcast, that makes you, you, the valuable, most valuable player on our team. I have no idea where that just came from. It just came from nowhere. And you know what? I'm going with it. It's a feeling. All right. Uh, Nopersinium.com is where you find all this insanity. And we will be back uh, in just a few days with a bonus episode of the podcast. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>